0: some sermons really don't need to be uh, to be preached not because they're they're not good sermons but because y'all already did much of the work for me and so um, uh, really what we're doing this morning is we're just we're just going to piggyback right on where we left off so we were singing of our great God and singing of the hope that we have in Him, and 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 singing of His great love, and and I'm just gonna kind of get up here and uh, find some really theological way to say ditto. Um, <laughs> that this this God that we serve um, is so glorious that you know we just find ourselves just just saying it over and over and over again, right? You know, we just say, God, you're awesome. You're like, how do I? How do I? You know, follow that? Well, you follow that by going, yeah, <laughs> he is right? You know, and you just keep saying it over and over again. And uh, I, I remember in Revelation where it says in uh, Revelation four, day and night, the uh, I believe it was the elders, the twenty-four elders, day and night they never cease to say. And if you don't like repetition and things like that. Um, you you might want to just take a peek at what they were looking at and who they were looking at because when they got a glimpse of him of the almighty they just couldn't stop saying wow <laughs> wow wow holy 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 i mean it just it just never ended there was no reason to end they could never exhaust their praise and and my prayer is that as we look at the scriptures here that we would find inexhaustible reasons to praise him, Uh, that this is our Savior and and there's no reason to stop because there's always more to praise. We can never plumb the depths of his glory and his amazing love. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is where we are this morning. And when you're there, say, I'm there. there. All right, Romans chapter 5. We're going to head all the way to verse 21. uh, And so follow along in your uh, copy of the scriptures here. Romans 5, beginning of verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hmm. Now let's pray that God would give us wisdom and insight to understand this spectacular passage. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. Make your word plain to us. Uh, in some cases, this passage seems to kind of bob and weave. It just, it just kind of uh, goes all over the place, and it's hard to, to follow the train of thought here. And so, Lord, would you give us insight to understand exactly what you're saying? And I pray, Lord, that we would leave from here more in awe of Jesus and all that is ours in him. Lord, there are some who are not currently in Christ. They have not entrusted their lives to him. Maybe there's some who don't see the, the reason. They don't see the benefit. What's the big deal? There's some who may just all out reject him. They, they don't want anything to do with him. Maybe because of things that have happened to them in the past. Or, or maybe because their lives are going so well that there's there's, there's really no need for him. But Father, I pray that your word would cut through the fog. and I pray, Lord, that it would be so undeniably clear that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. That they would gladly leave everything to follow him. We ask big things because you're a big God. And you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So as we prayed before, Lord, I join with these prayers in saying, Father, give us hope. Hope that is not moved by the cares of this world. Hope that is never to be shaken. And may Christ be glorified in all things and in all peoples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, there was an 11 year old Scottish girl named Ava Bell, who made headlines because she argued that her teacher was guilty of a war crime under the Geneva Conventions. That's it's quite an amazing little girl, in my opinion. Uh, she was asked by her teacher, uh, she was asked in, in, in a questionnaire how her teacher could improve And her answer was, not use collective punishment, as it is not fair to the many people who did nothing, and under the 1949 Geneva Conventions, it is a war crime. Uh, Jacob uh, Shamsian who 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 is a reporter that wrote on the story he explained the Geneva conventions a set of treaties established in the mid 20th century to establish war, I'm sorry established laws and protocols for humanitarian treatment during wartime were ratified by the United Kingdom in 1957 collective punishment is when an entire group is punished for the actions of individuals within the group like, for example, if an entire class gets a pop quiz because a handful of students disrupt the classroom, or if a teacher cancels recess because a couple of students talk throughout the class. It's a common practice among teachers. And apparently, according to Ava Bell, it's a war crime. <laughs> now, I don't think that the Geneva Conventions applied to classes. Um, I, at least I hope not for, for a professor, um, <laughs> uh, oh, and 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 uh, and I don't think that it's supposed to be for civilian life or anything like that. It's it's a limited scope of rules and so on for how to engage in warfare. And certainly, we need to refrain from punishing the innocent in warfare. But the reality is that people's choices have consequences that go far beyond the individual, right? Now, I, I understand. I understand. That's not what you grew up with. Because all of us are Americans, and as Americans, we, we drink. It seems like back when we were taking bottles of milk, you know, we have, we have drunk the, the narrative of our culture, which says... You and I are individuals. And as individuals, we all live in our own self-contained bubbles, our own you know, personal context, and we are not influenced by the choices of anybody else, and nobody's choices should have any type of play or role on our lives. All, the only choices that matter for my life are my own. How many of y'all have heard something of that sort? Uh, over the years, that's that's the air we breathe in our culture. We we are individuals, and 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 therefore, whether we're talking about uh, sexuality, whether we're talking about jobs, whether we're talking about whatever, my choices and only my choices should have an impact on my life and, and my well-being. Uh, think about this. Now, it, it can be a good thing. You know, uh, uh, individualism has had a a good effect on our lives. Um, for instance, uh, how many of you are doing uh, for a living the thing that your parents did? Anybody? No one in this room is raising their hands. You do realize that's radical in history. Like like historically, that, that is radical. If your dad was a mechanic, you're a mechanic. If, you're, if your mom was a baker, you're a baker. You know, you just pick up the family business, just pick up right where they leave off as they start to get old and, and, and aren't able to do a lot of the heavy work and everything. You as the child just gets up and you do what they did. It's the family business. It's what we do. That's why some of you, your, your last names are things like Baker or Smith or things like that. Why? Because that was the family trade. that's what somewhere back in the day they did that and you being the kid you know or their kid did that and their kid did that and their kid did that and then somebody out of nowhere said I want to be an acrobat or something like that and and completely wrecked it and uh, but that's individualism you know I don't have to do the same thing that my parents did because I am my own person see Uh, but of course we also see how it can spill over into all kinds of other different consequences right uh, think about, as I said before, sexuality. Nobody can tell me how I, you know, how I live my life. Nobody can tell me how to feel. Nobody can tell me how to use my body and things like that. Uh, the number one virtue in our culture when it comes to sexuality is consent. And what is consent but just saying, I should choose what I want when I want, and nobody can tell me otherwise? If I'm going against my choices or if somebody imposes their choice over my choice, then that's wrong. And certainly we would agree with that. But that's not all that there is to sexuality and to sexual morality. Certainly not. But as our culture, we live and we eat and we drink, you know individualism. That's, that's who we are. And so that has almost been reduced to the one virtue over all other virtues, even though I would challenge if that was a virtue in and of itself. Individualism, you choose, you decide, and nobody else can decide for you. No matter how much our culture loves to, uh, to, to dream <laughs> this, this dream, Um, And even we're seeing some of the the ramifications in our society. Uh, Because if you're able to choose the type of, uh, if you're uh, supposed to choose for yourself how you are to live your life and nobody's choices uh, are are to impact your life or anything like that, well, then that puts things like the government and the church uh, and uh, your parents and, and all of these things in kind of a bad spot, right? Because that's kind of what we're designed to do, isn't it? The government is designed to give laws and so on in order to maintain order and some sense of justice in our society. But people look at the government as being repressive. You're keeping me from doing what I want to do. I want to drive 90 miles an hour on the highway. Who are you to tell me what to do? You're suppressing my my freedom (laughs) or something like that. Or think about uh, your parents. Your parents tell you that you're supposed to, you know, have a bedtime or something, and you're supposed to go to bed at, like, you know, 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or whatever, or or, or maybe you've just gotten uh, uh, some car privileges and you need to be back by 11 or or be back by midnight or something like that, and you go, well, I want to go all night long, just drive all the way to Montana and have a wonderful, wonderful time and all of this. And, and, and you're going, you're repressing me and keeping me from making the choices, that I want to make, right? And certainly we know uh, our culture's stance on churches. That the church is over here telling us that we can't do anything. <laughs> and and, and we're, we want to be free from the repressive commands and morals and all of these things that the church is forcing on us. And so we want to be free. We want to be free to do whatever we want to do, and we don't want anybody's choices influencing our lives. The fact of the matter, though, is that's not real. It never has been, and it never will be real. Just a side note, um, a little quick survey here. How many of you guys were born? Anybody? Show of hands. Yeah? All right. Um, So that means all of you, by virtue of your existence you are the product of someone else's choices right like like your very first breath is the result of other people's choices <laughs> so it's kind of weird that we set up this whole narrative when it's like it's wrong by the time we breathe we're already going in a different direction. Your lives are influenced by that. But there are other situations, right? You can have a dad that just walks out on his wife and kids. And now the wife is having a hard time trusting anybody. Or you can have a kid that, that now wants to be a perfectionist because he never wants to feel that kind of hurt that he felt when dad walked away. And he certainly never wants that, to, uh, that, that fractured home to be the story of his home. Or you may have another child that, 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 that falls into addictions and so on to deaden the hurts that, that, that she feels because dad walked out on her. Their choices, their lives are in large part impacted by the choices of other people. You may have a CEO who, uh, uh, who, who, for whatever reason, decided that he could cut corners on his taxes and on the company's taxes. And as a result, now there are these massive penalties on the company and the layoffs and the lost profits, the strain in multiple homes, including his own, the, the stigma over his kids when they go to school. All of those things are the results of someone's choices. A president could call for troops to evacuate another country, hypothetically. And the millions and millions of lives uh, that are impacted, including even whole nations and, and, and so on far uh, beyond our own citizens and our own nation The the ripple effect across the globe, as people talk about how the economy, the global economy is affected, people talk about how the region of the Middle East is affected, people talk about the individual lives, even of the soldiers who were slain just a few days ago. All of these ripples are caused by one person, or at least one administration's, choices. No matter how you try to avoid it and no matter how you try to pretend that it's not true, the fact of the matter is your life and mine are the product or or are largely impacted by other people's choices. I say all of that because all of us have one thing in common. There is one person in particular who has left an indelible mark on every single one of our lives. The same person. The same person has left an impact uh, and left a mark on all of us. Because of his choices, every single one of our lives are no longer the same. In fact, we can't even imagine life before his choices. Because it is nothing like the lives that we live in. It's nothing like the world that we live in. Everything changed because of him. And his name was Adam. Paul's talking here in Romans 5 about Adam. The one man that he's talking about here, at least one of the one men (laughs) that he's talking about here, is Adam. We know the story. Those of you who are familiar with the scriptures, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, Adam and his wife Eve lived in the Garden of Eden, and they had all of the blessings that anyone could ever imagine, all right? Adam had a job that he loved. I know, I know, y'all are stunned silent. Um, he, he had a job that he loved. He was placed in the garden to work it and to keep it, and he never complained, he didn't even need an alarm clock. He would just jump up out of bed and say, "All right, let's work in the garden." You know, he loved this thing. This was great. He got to name the animals, and so he's over here going, "Oh my goodness!" You know, that is a that is a black widow, and he wasn't even like spooked. He was just like, "I love you, black widow," and uh, and he was just going around looking at all the animals. It was wonderful. He had all the food that he could possibly have. The Lord commanded him in Genesis 2, you may eat of all of the trees of the garden. And so he's just, you know, he and Eve, they're just putting together spreads and everything and just loving their time together as husband and wife. But, 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 there's this one tree that you're not supposed to eat of. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you're going to surely die. Okay? But you can have everything else. Everything else. Everything else. And wouldn't you know that there was a serpent that sat there and said, hmm, I know a little bit about these creatures. And I know that if you tell them that there's one thing that they can't have, that's the one thing they're going to focus on. Mm-hmm. And so he just sat there and he just, you know, did God say you can't eat of all the trees of the garden? No, no, he didn't say that, Eve said. He said that we could eat from all the trees of God are, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Ah, ah, there go those words. God's so stingy. No, 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 you're not going to surely die. The day you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. You won't need God to teach you good and evil because you can know good and evil for yourself. You can be your own person. Hmm. You can be your own person without anybody having to tell you what to do because you can decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. It's like it goes all the way back to the garden. And sure enough, she looked at it, she stared at it, and she grabbed the the fruit and she ate it, gave it to her husband who was with her. Genesis 3 says, and he ate of it, and the eyes of both were open. They realized they were naked. They hid hid themselves from each other by putting on fig leaves. They hide themselves from God, and, and everything spirals from here. Now, Paul, here in Romans 5, is showing us the ramifications of that. One man's choices impact all of us. Look what he says. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. That's what we just talked about in Genesis 3. And death through sin. And the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. All right? Now, theologians get into a a, a bit of of an argument here over what does that mean? What does that mean that Adam sinned? And because Adam sinned, uh, all of us die and, and, and all of us sin, you know, and all that. And what sense does do, do all of us sin when Adam sinned? What's going on here? And you have a group of people. There was a, a teacher back in the day. His name was Pelagius. We're getting a little uh, church history here. And Pelagius argued that in no way are we affected by Adam's sin. Adam was an individual who made his own choices, and he fell, and all of that. And all of us are self-contained individuals, and we choose for ourselves how we're going to live our lives. And wouldn't you know, by sheer coincidence, we all chose the same thing, namely sin. It's not because we got anything from Adam. It has nothing to do with our human nature or anything like that. It's just actually one of the craziest coincidences in the history of the world that we all chose sin. Needless to say, Pelagius was condemned as a heretic, um, because that's ridiculous. Okay, Why do we all sin, as it says there at the end of the verse? We all sin because what is in us is the same thing that is in Adam, namely this nature that is bent towards sin. We want it. We want autonomy. We want individualism. We want to be our own people making our own choices, and we certainly don't want God to be the one dictating for us how we live our lives. That's the problem. And as Adam sinned as the first human, in a very real sense, we all sinned in him. You say, how does that work? You're gonna have to break that down for me. I'd be glad to break that down for you. Thanks for asking. So here's the thing. Think about, uh, for instance, when uh, when we talk about uh, politics and so on, and we say, Washington decided such and such. All right. Now, my nana, my mom's mom, lives in Southeast D.C., which is where my parents grew up, in Southeast D.C. Nana still lives there, in Southeast D.C. Same house that my mom grew up in, uh, right over there uh, in D.C. Now, when we say, Washington decided something, Nana could go, uh, I didn't decide anything. <laughs> I live in Washington, and nobody asked me for anything. If anything, if they asked me, it'd probably be a little bit better over there. Um, <laughs> but but, but I, I didn't decide anything. No, you didn't decide anything. But when Congress or the White House decides something, we say, Washington. She is a part of the city that makes the decisions for our country, and therefore Washington is Washington. You see what I mean? Here's another example. It's bottom of the ninth. You get up to bat. You aren't exactly the greatest batter on earth. <laughs> your er, I mean your your batting average is like you know zero. Uh, but the team is counting on you, and you predictably strike out. Okay. When you strike out, there are two ways that you could say this. You could say, you struck out, or you could say, the team lost on the final at bat. Now, there could your teammates could go, hey, don't throw me under the bus. I wasn't the one at bat. But by virtue of you being a part of that team, when that person steps up to the bat, they are representing the team. And so what, if that person hits the ball, if that person doesn't hit the ball, whatever that person does, the team did. Do you see what's going on here? He is the representative. And so the team won in the batter or the team loses in the batter because the batter is the representative of the team and the team exists in him when that person is standing there in, uh, in their place. This is what Adam did. Adam was at the bat. And when Adam was at the bat, he struck out. (laughs) And uh, 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 as a consequence of his striking out, sin enters into the whole world and death through sin. And therefore, all uh, have died and death spreads to all people because all have sinned. Adam died. And Adam, or Adam sinned and Adam died. And we, because we are children of Adam, when he sinned, we sin. When he dies, we all die. And that is our human experience. Our lives, by virtue of our sinning, reveal the fact that we are indeed children of Adam. And every single one of us, the marks of our ancestor have impacted all of us. All of us. So the first thing that Paul wants to show us here is that Adam fell. He also wants to show us that, the uh, just for in case there's anybody that goes, wait a second, wait a second. I mean, he fell and everything, and he sinned and all of that. But, you know, Pelagius has a point because... Uh, the law doesn't come until Moses. And so what's up with with Adam being the one who sinned and everybody died and all these types of things? The law is the one that reveals to us sin and everything. So what about that period in between Adam and Moses? And Paul says, I, I want to talk about that a little bit. He says in verse 13, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So, how, so what was going on then? Uh, uh, If there was no specification of sin apart from the law, then what was the result of these people who lived before the law? Verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, namely those who did not have specific commands saying, don't do this, don't do that. They didn't have that, and yet they still died. Why? Because they were sin. See? See? They were living as children of Adam, and as children of Adam, they bore the consequences of Adam's sin. They died too, and even before it was specified that what they were doing was right or wrong, they still had sin in them. Everyone is impacted by the consequences of this one man. That's true of all of us. And you could turn on the TV and you could look at the world, whether you're watching the local news or whether you're watching the nation's news or whether you're watching the the world news. You go on and you see the consequences of Adam everywhere. You don't even have to turn on the TV to see the consequences of Adam. You just have to look in the mirror. And you see the consequences of Adam everywhere. Why do I do what I do? There's a debate in theology over, uh, you know, do we, uh, are we sinners because we sin or, are we, or do we sin because we're sinners? And the, the reality of it all is we sin because we're sinners, just like our forefather. Now, Paul here has, has been unpacking the gospel. And Paul just simply can't stay here. <laughs> he just can't stay here and go, we're sinners, the end. So feel miserable about yourselves because you're miserable. The end. That's not Paul. Paul has to get to the gospel. And that's exactly what he does for the rest of the passage. He goes, this is what Adam did. And surely our lives are impacted by the choices of this one man, Adam. But then he goes, wait, 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 wait. Because our lives can be greatly impacted by the lives of another man. And that's what he wants to show us here in this passage. Look at verse, four, uh, verse 15. Uh, first off, in verse 14, look at uh, right at the end. He says that our sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Note, who was a type of the one who was to come. In other words, Adam now sets a category of one whose actions uh, uh, have ramifications for the entire human race. And he says, in that way, He sets an expectation for another whose actions will have ramifications for the entire human race. And now we go, okay, what's going on here? All right, now, verse 15. What Paul's gonna teach us from here on is even though Adam fell, Christ excelled. Look at verse 15. But the free grace is not like, or the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more. If you're an underliner in your Bible, I know we're a specific breed, um, but if you like to underline in your Bible, underline that much more. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of uh by the grace of that one man abounded underline abounded abounded for many do you notice what's going on here one uh his his actions his trespass uh brought death but this one here uh uh his actions his the grace and the free gift of the grace that comes through him abounds for many okay this man's trespass brings death Death, the end. You die. This person brings grace, and 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 so on. That brings grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Blessings upon blessings upon blessings upon blessings. They abound for us. And therefore, what he's saying here is that in contrast to uh, uh, the resources, uh, he's saying here, Christ's resources abound. Totally uh, uh, drown out all that uh, the resources that Adam has provided for us. You see what's going on here? He's contrasting here his uh, what Christ has done and and Christ's efforts in uh, comparison to Adam's efforts. Adam did his uh, trespassing and he sinned and it brought death. Christ brings never-ending blessing upon blessing upon blessing because of his uh, grace and the gift of the grace that comes through him. Notice also uh, there's the contrast here, not only between the resources but between the results. In verse 16, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. What's the result of that one man's sin? Look what he says. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation guilt. You feel that weight on you over and over and over again. You sin, and you start to feel the effects of that sin, the consequences of that sin, and it brings more and more condemnation upon you. But the free gift following many trespasses, he says, brought justification. And again, that just makes no sense. You you understand the point by point here. I do one trespass, I get condemnation. It's a one to one ratio here. So, what in, in Christ's economy, what happens when there are many trespasses? You would expect the answer to be many condemnations, right? But instead, it says here the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. What's the what's the consequence of many trespasses for those who are in Christ righteousness What? <laughs> You're declared righteous before God. Wait, but but what about my record? What about all the things that I've done? What about my track record, my resume and everything? You look at Jesus and he says all of those things are taken away and you get my righteousness. The end. The consequence of one trespass, Adam's trespass, there is condemnation. But the consequence of many trespasses for those in Christ, righteousness. It doesn't matter how bad of a sinner you are. It doesn't matter how much you've wrecked your life. It doesn't matter the choices that you've made. It doesn't matter the ways that you've been impacted by so many people over the generations. If you believe in Christ Jesus as your Savior, all of it is washed away. And you stand before him as righteous. Oh, that's so not Adam. (laughs) Jesus is so greater than Adam because of that. He excels in contrast to Adam's effort, but also he excels in comparison to Adam's effect. Because notice in verses 18 and 19. It says here, there, uh, therefore, as one, man's, uh, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Again, if you're an underliner and all of these types of things, notice all men in verse 18, how he compares all men get condemnation to all men get justification and life. In other words, as far-reaching as Adam's sin, uh, 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 as the consequences of Adam's sin, so you see the far-reaching of Christ's obedience and his righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean, oh, here I go. I knew I was going to do that once in this message. That I was just going to smack the microphone. Um, what's the, uh, uh, what does that mean? Does that mean then that everybody gets saved? No. No, that's not what that means. But he says, all men, uh, righteousness of, uh, uh, in, in life for all men. No, that's not what he means. What he means is this. All people have now the opportunity to receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All people don't get saved. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because our entrance into the righteousness of God is not the same as our entrance into uh, the sin of Adam. How did you inherit Adam's nature? Anybody? You were born. Yeah. How do you receive this from Christ, the righteousness of Christ? You must be born again. How, how are you regenerated? Like, like what, what is the evidence that you have been regenerated? It's not breathing. It's faith, belief. See there? It's not by breathing, it's by believing. And so when I place my trust in Christ and I receive the promises of God in Christ Jesus as my own and I say, yes, Christ died on the cross for my sin and Christ rose from the dead for my eternal life and I am now uh, finding myself in Christ so that his identity is my identity. I am found in him and in him alone that is the way that we are justified before the Lord. It's on the basis of our faith in Jesus. Okay. Now, all men there then means... All men have the opportunity now to place their faith in Jesus. You do not have to live all of your life as a sinner in Adam, bearing the consequences, ultimately leading to death. That does not have to be the way that you live your life, but rather you can place your faith in Christ and find your identity in Him so that His righteousness is your own, His life is your own, His relationship with God is your own, and so on. And you will have all. All of the blessings that come through Christ. As you see here in the text, Adam's Adam's sin had consequences for the whole human race. And now you see here, Christ's obedience has consequences for everybody. Just as one's sin, one's trespassing, one's disobedience made many sinners, so also one's obedience makes many righteous. You can have his righteousness as your uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I was I was supposed to give the the message for uh, uh, the first passage in Romans five, and then um, uh, uh, Rona came and um, <laughs> and and she uh, she she stopped over at the lock house and. And uh, uh, made herself known to all of us, and <laughs> and so that didn't happen. But there was there was an illustration there that I think is appropriate for here as, as well. Um, I, I have, um, and and it's it's no surprise to anybody who knows me. I have this um, this this deep love and affection for Apple products. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so I like iPhones and watches and iPads and, and all of this stuff. And one of the newer things that they've been doing over the last few years is something called Face ID. Um, they used to do a thing called Touch ID, where you'd put your fingerprint on the little circle and, and woo it would open up and everything, and it's magic. Um, but then they started doing this thing called Face ID, and it's very simple. You just, you just hold up your phone and, uh, and, and you just look. And when you look at it, it unlocks, and then you're able to get into you know, all of your little apps and everything, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool thing. I'm not selling it or anything, but, um, but it's this cool thing. So what happens is this, it recognizes your face, and once it recognizes your face, it unlocks your phone. It gives you access to everything that goes on, uh, everything that's available inside your phone, but it won't do that until it recognizes your face, face ID. Well, here's the amazing thing. You have all of the blessings and the riches of Christ at your disposal. They're here. They're available. But the only way that you can access those things is if his identity is your identity. You have to be found in Christ. And once you are found in Christ, it's as if God has a face ID uh, lens or something right there, right at the entrance of all the blessings that he has for us in Jesus. And when we stand up there, because our identity is in Christ, we look at that lens and he doesn't look at us and see all of us with our baggage and our sin and our wretchedness and our unrighteousness and all that. No, 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 no. When, he, when we step up there and he looks at us, he sees Jesus. And when he looks at Jesus, it unlocks and we have access to all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Awesome. That's so awesome. And that's ours. Just as Adam's uh, uh, disobedience had ramifications for everyone, so Jesus' obedience has ramifications for everyone. This can be yours if you would place your faith in Christ. For those of us who are in Christ, this is yours. Live it, love it, relish it, enjoy it, and tell other people about it so that they can have this too. There's one last part. I got to rush. There's one part here at the end, verses 20 and 21. This is what happens when you when you don't preach for like a month. You just you just you just lose yourself. Um, verses 20 and 21. Notice this. He goes back to the law. He says, "Now the law came in uh, came in to increase the trespass. The law came in to increase the trespass." So what is the function of the law then? If the law isn't the one uh, uh, that that brings sin and death into the world, no, Adam was the one who did that. Well, then what's the purpose of the law? And he says here, the law is here to increase the trespass. Now I know because of the law, all of the things that I've been doing wrong all this time. Ignorance is bliss. (laughs) It was better for me probably not to know. But now that I know, it's sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. I've broken the law over and over and over and over and over again. And so what do I do? Do I read the law and dread? No, you read the law and rejoice. Why do I rejoice? Because he says here, where sin increased grace abounded all the more. There's another one of those words there. Christ excels over everything. So much more is what Christ gives us compared to what Adam and our sin gives us. Much more is is, is, uh, the effects of Christ's obedience compared to the effects of Adam's disobedience. And now here, much more abounding is this grace in comparison to the sin and the death and so on that we find revealed in the law. He says, where sin is, Increase Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because Christ excelled, grace prevails in our lives. Notice what reigns in your life. If you are in Christ, never again will sin reign in your life. It can't reign in your life. Because you are in Christ. Never again will death reign in your life, as he says here in this passage. Never again. It's impossible for death to overtake you and overcome you. Because you're in Christ who conquered death. You're in Christ who conquered sin. Now and forever, you are ruled by grace. Grace. Marvelous grace. Grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater, greater than all our sin. This is the truth that we live in day after day, moment by moment, forever. Correction, this is the truth that you can live in. If you would remember what God has given you in Christ Jesus. This is who you are. His life has given consequences that span for all of eternity, never-ending, only abounding grace. What's so cool about this word here for abounded, ESV is being nice here, because you have here where sin increase, and it says your grace abounded. If you read this in the Greek, it's awesome. (laughs) Because in the Greek... He uses the word abounded, but then he adds a prefix on here, hooper. Hooper abounded, if you will. Hooper is where we get our Greek word, or I'm sorry, our Greek word, uh, our English prefix, uh, hyper. So hooper active, <laughs> hyperactive, right? And we also get the prefix super from this, like superman. Or superstore, or things like that. So we, so the grace abounds, but it does so much more than abounds. It super abounds. It hyper abounds. You see here. So grace reigns over your life, and it. Super super abounds over every single sin that you've ever committed over every single struggle over every effect of the fall you have grace in surplus and it's yours and it will always be yours and it will never run dry for all of eternity this is true of all of us who are in Christ Jesus so I could live my life thinking that I'm this self-contained individual and nobody's choices affect me or anything like that and my life is just the product of all of my choices and no one else's. That's a miserable way to live. One, it's not true. You are the result of your choices, yes, but you are also in the context of the choices that Adam and the consequences of the choices that Adam made. But there is also a better life. You can live your days for all of eternity in the consequences of the choices that Christ made. And if you do so, you won't be guilty of Geneva conventions, <laughs> but you will be able to enjoy and relish the superabundant grace of God reigning in your life in Christ Jesus forever. What a way to live! Let's pray. So, Father, I ask that you would indeed drive this home to us. Lord, we have felt the consequences of our sins, and we have felt the consequences of other people's sins. And of course, over abundant, uh, over above all of them, the consequences of our forefather Adam. And yet, you have given us a Savior, one greater than Adam who gives an abundant supply all of the grace that we ever could need for all of eternity. Father, I pray that we would live in the consequences of Christ's actions. (laughs) May his righteousness be our own. May his life be our own. And I pray, Lord, that we would live every day finding some way to spread this good news to others that they may be free from the condemnation, free from death, free from the grip of sin, free to live and enjoy Jesus forever. Make this true of us, and may our witness radiate for all to see. We thank you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.